0: Is Lloyd. Lloyd. To Lloyd. 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 Kane, would you say that you join us in coming out snarling? Um I don't really know what that means, but I'm gonna say no. That's all right, just, just say yes anyway, because <laughs> it's uh it's just part of the Bulldogs theme song. I'm just getting fired up. We're in the finals again after uh, after all these games where we thought all these different things could happen, pretty much every game basically just held to uh, what was expected. Um, yeah, Essendon gave a shout at the end against Melbourne. Fremantle played it tight against the Bulldogs. Sydney almost knocked off Geelong. But everything sort of played out as uh, as expected over the weekend.
1: Yeah, I thought there was an outside chance, and I texted you on the weekend, an outside chance that we could have the locked on AFL Cup again, which I think would Geelong would have had to lose, and then Colin would we'll touch on them a little bit later. They would have had to... Uh, they would have to beat Port Adelaide. and There was a chance we could have had locked on AFL Cup 2, which, to be honest, I didn't really want. I'm sitting comfortable with my 1-0 advantage, and I wanted to leave it at that, so I'm not too upset that the results panned out the way they did.
0: So let's just refresh on what happened uh, across the the results over the weekend. At at this point, there's still a game to go. We've got Port Adelaide-Collingwood tonight. We'll we'll talk about that later on. But three of the eight spots are set. Um, We've got West Coast locked in at number five, and then we've got um, Geelong in at four, And Richmond in at three. So three, four, and five are set. And then one and two switches, depending on what happens with Port tonight. If Port wins, they go to one. If Port loses, they stay at two. And then, of course, if Collingwood wins, they jump up to number six. St. Kilda goes to seven. And the Bulldogs go to eight. So some interesting things can happen there. But as I said, all of the favorites did what they needed to do over the weekend, got the victories. And the, uh, the top eight is set. It is. Who do you
1: reckon? And I think this works both ways. I think it's pretty obvious that teams would want to avoid going to Perth and play West Coast. So that makes perfect sense. Obviously, the Pies are going to want to win the game. Uh, you, as a Doggies fan, will be hoping uh, the Pies uh, lose. Is that right? Yeah, yep. you'll be hoping the Pies lose. So then you don't have to go to Perth and you'll get St. Kilda. Um, but I think at the top as well, it's going to be really interesting because. I think, you know, either you play Geelong or Richmond, and I think right now Geelong would probably be the favorable matchup out of those two for both Brisbane and Port. So, uh, look, there'll be some teams watching with interest tonight because I think that you're going to want to avoid going to Perth and
0: play the Eagles, and I think you're going to want to avoid playing uh, Richmond. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I think so too. So that makes tonight both these teams, despite being locked into the finals and Port with the double chance, uh, they want to win because Port, I think, would prefer Geelong and Collingwood would obviously prefer to not go to Perth. So this should be a pretty high-quality game. It's not going to be one of those ones where one team's got it all to play for and the other team doesn't give a shit and they can play spoiler for two quarters and then give up. Both these teams have got quite a lot to play for, so it is going to be a real interesting one tonight. But um, yeah, we talked about you know, St. Kilda with the, the big win. We haven't talked about it, but we'll talk about it now. Big win over GWS. They were they were pretty disgusting, the Giants, in that game yet again. I don't know how many times we've said that. Yeah. Um, so they make them they get into the finals for the first time in I believe I think it's close to 10 years since St Kilda has been in the finals. Um and then the Bulldogs with the the comfortable win in the end over Fremantle but not without some injury concerns with Aaron Norton and Mitch Wallace both uh both suffering some injuries there so not a great way to end uh, in that game. What did you take anything away from I guess the performances of those teams you're yeah, fighting for, fighting for the the finals from the St Kilda and the Bulldogs who both needed those wins to to get themselves in. Well, St. Kilda were back to their best, and we always talk about their ability to kick goals, their their small
1: fellas kick goals in the forward 50, they're able to get out the back of contest, get front and center, and they did that all night against the Giants, and Jack Loney kicked a couple of goals, Uh, Jack Steele even went forward and kicked a couple, but Butler got a a trademark goal for him front and center as well, so uh, I think that, again, St. Kilda, when they're able to play that style of football, sort of freewheeling, get a uh, good uh, one-on-one contest inside 50, and then surround them with little guys running into open, open goal. That's when they look their most dangerous. Now, clearly, this game was a lot closer than uh, what the scoreboard suggests. The last quarter, obviously, it blew, it blew out. Once GWS's season was over, they fell away very, very quickly. But you know, again, I, I'm really interested because when I when I look at this Saints team, and I'm predicting that they're going to play. Um, the Bulldogs, if, if the result goes the way uh, we think it will. I think it's going to be a really interesting and potentially high-scoring final, so I'm kind of hoping that we get the St. Kilda Bulldogs um, final, because I, again, I, I think that the Saints are really dangerous in certain matchups, and I think against the Doggies, it could be a team that they could score a, a bunch against, and going back the other way, I think they can be vulnerable at times as well, because again, I thought GWS had their chances in this game, particularly uh, through the first half. They did not kick well for goal. They finished up three goals, 12 for the night. So, you know, when the game was still in the balance, GWS kicked themselves out of it, but they were able to get scoring opportunities. And St so Kilda will give you a chance to score against them. And I think that's why they've been one of the more entertaining teams to watch this year.
0: Yeah, look, they they were back at that at that level of play that has served them so well. Um, yeah, the Bulldogs played St. Kilda in round two this year. So I'm not sure we can take much out of that matchup. But once we know how these matchups are going to sit, we'll, we'll talk more about previews later in the week. But we know that now Essendon, Melbourne, GWS in particular, the two Melbourne and GWS, are two teams who had an opportunity to get in the finals, they're done now. Their season is over. So just a, a slight post-mortem on those guys. Which club would you rather be a supporter of or yeah, involved with for the coming years? Like, who is in a better spot there? To me, it, it, I was going to say it's pretty clear. I know who I, I don't want to be yeah, pr- pretty comfortably. Essendon, to me, is not in that mix uh, we talked about Melbourne's young players. GWS got some real cap squeeze stuff going on. I'm not sure who I'd prefer out of Melbourne and GWS. I might lean GWS, but, man, it's, uh, there's some stuff that needs to change there.
1: Yeah, I still think it's GWS pretty comfortably for mine. I know they had a really rough year, and uh, I, I just wonder. We'll see. I mean, we'll see whether it's a one-off thing. I, I think the biggest problem for them is going to be if they do lose Jeremy Cameron and Zach Williams in particular, and there might be some others. Particularly those two, if they leave, I think uh, yeah, key players either end of the ground. I know Cameron has had a rough year and Zach Williams has been out with um, some hamstring issues, a number of injuries, but you know, still so vital to their success. I think if they lose theirs, those two, I would be pretty concerned about them. But Melbourne have their own situation as well with potentially Jack Viney leaving, which is kind of strange considering that Melbourne have been a team that have been kind of building. And as we spoke about last week, the age demographic of the list is they're in, they're still in a really good spot. They're in a spot for a good spot for the next couple of years to continue to push back into the finals and contend. But uh, there's no doubt, yeah, I've got a pretty clear third out of that group. But the coaching situation for all three teams, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to follow
0: next year. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, we know that at this point it's going to be Rutten, Goodwin, and Cameron after the extension for Leon Cameron and the transition over to Ben Rutten. But... All three of those guys are in pretty shaky situations, I would say, at this stage, given what's happened with their teams this year. And not only, it's not just about win-loss record, but it's in the manner in which some of those games have been decided or some of the decisions or some of the internal stuff that's been going on. You know, reports out of Essendon that players are upset that Bell Chambers didn't get a farewell game. Uh, from senior players like uh, Hurley and Hooker. I think we pretty upset about that. So just some internal stuff. We know that GWS and Cornelio being dropped, whatever the hell has been going on with Melbourne at times during the year. So there is obviously some big questions with uh, with those teams who all had some you know, decent expectations either in the preseason or uh, you know, early in the actual season, and things did not go their way. Um, we did have the you – know, obviously, it was round 18 – so we got some uh, some I guess lead up to the finals type stuff which is always going to be important but I think most importantly for some of these teams, are the big names returning. Gary Ablett returned for your blokes. He was there. We had Edwards coming back. We had Dan Hanabey back for St. Kilda. So just getting in these these games as a warm-up, or yeah, just getting back out in the park now, they've got the one-week break. It's super important to get these guys back out there. And how did you see the return of these players who have been uh, long-term absences?
1: Yeah, I thought probably out of the three, the one that I would... Uh... I don't know if concerned is the right word I would use, but the one I would be the most skeptical about would be Dan hannabury just because, yes, he's coming back in, but he's also had extended injury issues, whereas the other two, it hasn't really been injuries. Yeah. Um, they, they've been out for other reasons, personal reasons. So the fact that Dan hannabury coming back into this St. Kilda team, obviously we know they got him at, at probably a little bit of a reduced price just because of the, the way his uh, career was trending with the with the body stuff. But... For him to come back, I think he had 13 possessions, over 300 meters gained. I thought he was pretty good. And St. Kilda, really, you know, in finals, they don't have, as you sort of pointed to, they don't have a, a lot of experience. Obviously, um, some guys have played a, a final uh, here or there. Obviously, Bradley Hill's a guy that's played plenty of finals. But they don't have a lot of it. And, and henry has been there. He's been there on grand final day, and he's been a huge performer in finals. So I think it's really important for the Saints to get him back into the team. Uh, they're just going to hope that he stays healthy. Funnily enough, I, I wonder whether playing one game and then not having to to back it up, having to buy, I wonder if that will help him uh, coming into that first
0: final as well. But I, I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, look, I think that that is yeah, a help because then you don't have to you know back it up in six days or seven days. That You get back out there, you have a run, you have that extended Break, you know, I know he's had extended he breaks all season as he's been trying to recover from injury. But I do think it will help Hanover uh, just to have that extra little bit of time off. I don't think. I don't think anyone in that sort of situation would be like, nah, let let me get back straight back out there in six days and run it again. Just it it helps you ease back in as well. And then hopefully in that second game, in that first final, he can go out there and play more of a full load. But you're right. The extended injury problems that he has had, it does put him in a different scenario to where Edwards and Ablett uh, currently sit because they had uh, personal issues for not being there. Not that they were, um, not that they were hurt and, uh, and and not able to participate uh, for them. Now, We've talked, and we talked at length about this last week, about the goal-kicking prowess, I guess, or I don't know if prowess is the right word, the anti-prowess of some of the uh, big big midfielders who do move forward. And Patty Dangefield is one of those guys we talked about, but he kicked three for the Cats over the weekend, which really, considering they won by six points, is really super important. If he was kicking at his usual rate, uh, might not have gone as, uh, as well for Geelong there. Yeah, no doubt. I thought we just had
1: to bring this up because last week, as you pointed to, and and not even just the, the bigger uh, midfielders that go forward, everyone, everyone in around the, across the league seems to be struggling with goal kicking and particularly set shot goal kicking. So this was just a perfect illustration of what we spoke about last week of how, you know, one guy kicking the ball straight, kicking those set shots can win you a game. And this was a game that clearly there was a lot on the line for the Cats. They needed to win to finish top four, get that second chance. And they wouldn't have done that if Dangerfield, a guy that has been Very questionable from set shots. He's only shooting 28% from 18 set shots this year coming into that game, that is. And yesterday he kicked three big ones. One from around 50 out on a 45 towards the end of the third quarter. And then those two ones from uh, mostly directly in front, around 30 to 40 meters out. But still um, pretty big uh, goals in the moment. So again, it's just a a perfect illustration of how that that goal kicking not only uh, can have an impact on the game, but probably will have an impact on the game coming forward when we expect that a lot of these teams are pretty evenly matched and goal kicking could be
0: the thing that separates them. Oh, look, that's absolutely going to be the case. It's going to cost the team a final here. And I don't know which which game it's going to be because we don't know what the games are going to be. But there's going to be one of these finals that's going to be decided by a team kicking six goals 10 and their opponent kicking 12 goals 4 or something like that. And it's going to be even even goal-scoring attempts, but you know, one team converted at a high rate and one team was bad and then it looked like a blowout. And that's it's going to be the case because it's we've seen it multiple times this season and we've always worried about it. Like It's going to cost the team a final. It is going to happen at some point. Uh, And we just don't know where it's going to be. You don't mind if if you're having shots from 50 out in the pocket. That's good defense to make that the only opportunity you have for kicking shots a goal. It's when you're missing ones from 20 meters out straight in front. Happened a lot in last night's game. It happened in every game throughout the season. These players that are straight in front are just missing absolute gimmies. And they're the ones that kill you. And that's why we reference that expected score on Stats Insider so often. Because that's way more important than overall conversion. Because sometimes overall conversion is what the defence is allowing you, but when you're missing those ones from the goal square or from 20 out straight in front, uh, and and not making teams pay, that is that is not only is it because you, you you get the, you t- take that big grab top of the square and you go oh, yes goal mark it down. So it's not only that you get one point instead of six; is that the whole team gets deflated? Oh shit like oh, damn all right we should have got that one but it's a deflating issue so that that's the problem to me. It's not missing goals. it's missing the ones that absolutely should be gettable and you know you could you could chuck in any any kid playing under 16s across the across the country and they'd have a, almost an equal amount of an opportunity of kicking a goal like that. It, it's just it's baffling that that happens and it's it's really costly.
1: Oh, it is, and we, we, when we went through it last week, the two teams from the top five that are the best at kicking for goal so far this season based on that expected score, Geelong and West Coast. And then we know Brisbane. Brisbane's given up a, a lot, so uh, it'll be up to them to turn that around in the finals. But Brisbane, as you sort of pointed to at the start of the episode here, will have to wait tonight, and they'll be watching. And, uh, you know, we, we spoke about the fact that they probably would want to play Geelong because they've got an absolutely terrible history against Richmond, but Richmond also probably just a fallen team in the competition. But Pies and Port Adelaide, Jane Stevenson back in for the Collingwood. Now, it's interesting they've brought him back in. I thought they found pretty good chemistry up forward last week. Obviously, Jordan degoey came in his first game in quite a long while, but they look like they were pushing the field a little bit, trying to open up the space for togaway deep and i think that that's the best way for them to score the best way for them to get scoring opportunities because we know they've got inside 50s but they've moved it slow there's been congestion in there they haven't had that tall mark in target but uh, togaway can almost be there uh, their key forward their guy in the goal square that you like in one on one situations he can get it done on the ground as well so i'm not really sure how stevenson fits in there but again it does just feel like as they have been all year the pies are still searching for something in their forward fifty, and uh, you know,
0: obviously, we're getting pretty pretty close to finals now to still be looking for that mix. So does that mean you, Kane Pittman, are now uh, a big Mason Cox proponent? Like you'll you know, keep keep Stevenson out. Let's uh, let's just run with the, the Cox, my Check, uh, Dugouy, Fordland. You're you're big on Mason Cox now. That's what I'm taking away from that.
1: Uh, well, you know, uh, it really swung I, my opinion on Cox really swung when I, when he's got that second game. Now I can always go back <laughs> to that game against the Gold Coast. Uh, what a performance it was, uh, round sixteen. I think it was. Was it around sixteen? Round seventeen, maybe last week, whatever that was. What a game! What a game for the big fella. I like him up the ground a little bit more though. But honestly, through necessity, they got to play. That's that's kind of the situation they found themselves in.
0: Yeah, it's uh, he's he's been look. He was terrible early in the season, but he has been much better. So yeah, we'll, we'll pot guys if they're struggling. Yeah, fairly, and if they're playing well, then yeah, they they deserve that that credit for turning things around. That's exactly where Mason Cox finds himself at the moment. Any other takeaways that you had from the weekend? I I just think. Yeah, There was something that happened in, in last night's game. I don't know how much you've watched of it, but I think it was Anthony Hudson commentating, but he said that Tom Libertore had th- he had 38 pressure acts at that point. He ended with 41. It said it's the most by any player in a game ever, which I'm not sure of that. I don't. I haven't researched that, but that is, that is, uh, yeah. that's a big number to set, set the record, apparently, for all-time amount of pressure acts in a game.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when we speak about the dogs, and uh, I- I've said a couple of times here that Uh, when I hear any type of reference and I heard it again the last night multiple times reference to the 2016 team and I feel like anytime the Bulldogs finish from fifth to eighth and win a couple games towards the end of the season they're just going to keep doing this forever (laughs) no matter who no matter who's in the team they'll be doing it in 25 years but Liber is one guy this year he's really bounced back hasn't he I mean and he's had some issues obviously he's had some health um some health stuff going on some injuries over the last couple of years no doubt but He's been back to his best this year, or close to it. It feels like for me, anyway, from a, from a, from my perspective, and uh, that pressure that he brings. And I think it was the was it the GWS game where he came back into the team uh, and he he made such a big impact yeah. on that night around the footy as well in the right way. Everyone else was getting um, from GWS was being over aggressive. They were looking to do the sort of fake tough stuff, and he was just like, I'm just going to keep winning the footy.
0: And uh, he's had a fantastic year. Yeah, he had twenty-five touches last night, eight tackles, forty-one pressure acts, seven clearances. Yeah. Uh, he had some other big numbers about twelve score involvements, um, just and a, a, a six-one percenters, six stoppage clearances, like just absolutely ridiculous numbers for a bloke that wasn't in the square center square for most of those center bounces for during the game, and he was firing out no look handballs left, right, and center. It was one of his best games that I've ever seen, and it just the that's why we talk about the Bulldogs having that ability to you know, maybe maybe threaten some of these teams because there's just so many different options that they can throw in the midfield to do different jobs. And last night, it was Hunter and Liberatore that stepped up while McCray and Bonte Pella were a little bit quiet and Dunkley was a little bit quieter and Caleb Daniel was a little bit quieter, but other guys can step up. And I think it is worth mentioning just how good Liber was considering he has had two ACL tears. And he has had some off-field stuff, yeah, a few, a few years ago now. But really stepping it up, and he was uh, he was unbelievable. And to you know, get that amount of pressure on on a team in a situation like that, plus get yourself twelve score involvements and twenty five touches, is uh, it's a pretty massive effort to be to be huge in both directions.
1: The only other team that I would think uh, that I would think would be worth bringing up would be Hawthorne Hawthorne and Gold Coast. Actually, that game. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I watched a replay of that last night, and I didn't. First of all, I didn't expect that the Hawks would blow him out the way that they did. But I, I thought it was fun to see, obviously, Poopolo get on the end of a few goals, and then Stratton at the end. That was obviously a pretty good moment. It was pretty, it was pretty cool to see Kalako carrying on like that on the boundary line as well for Stratton kicking a goal. And for how many games he's played, pretty remarkable that that was only his second goal. It was incredible. But uh, he went back and slotted that. So it looked like a very comfortable set shot, by the way. Uh, Josh Stratton looked pretty good up there. Maybe he's been at the wrong end of the ground. But for the Suns, they just tailed off this year, didn't they? And at yeah. the start of the year, clearly, they, they were super competitive. They go off to a really fast start. Uh, and I, I think that still, the season, you'll look back as a positive for them. There's no doubt. But in the end, they probably would be disappointed that they didn't pick up more wins. And I, I think it was probably fatigue. I think the, the fixture being so bunched up and the short breaks maybe affected them as much as any team just because they are so young. But... Uh, when you look at Noah Anderson yesterday, again, another twenty, uh, another 25 disposals. And uh, Ben Ainsworth, obviously, has been a pretty good player for them as well this year. Hugh Greenwood was, has been a good pickup. But I think they'll be fine. But I, I still do think that they would be a little bit disappointed with the way the season has tailed off.
0: Yeah, they only won one out of their last 10. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah, obviously a, a really poor yeah, end to the season, and they had some big losses there, yeah, 45 points against Brisbane, 51 last night, uh, a couple of close ones against the Saints and that draw against the Bombers, and five points against the Bulldogs, but they started out so well. you know Three out of their first four, they won four out of their first seven, and then one out of the last ten. It's a disappointing way to end, and of course, you know, we know Matty Rao was out after those first four games, but... It wasn't just the, his absence that uh, that created the problem. It was just, again, some of these young guys. And when your team is made up of so many young guys and they are the driving force between so much that you do, you expect that. But you also expect a little bit better some of the older guys like, like Greenwood and, and Waller and Swallow. Those players are a little bit older. Harbrow, who's in and out of the team during the season. But they shouldn't be completely disappointed. They, they weren't. This isn't their year to you know push for a premiership chance or you know to be a real noise-maker in the finals, but I think they laid enough groundwork in there to be you know, pretty happy to see how this all goes with a full year of Anderson and Matty Rao coming back and another, yeah, you know, Rankin finally playing Licocious and Lacocious uh, and Butterick and every, Ainsworth, whoever else I'm missing, yeah, and Brandon Ellis in his first year up there, a whole bunch of different players really you know, stepping up and for all of the positive press that they've got all year, to only win five games probably is a little bit disappointing, but I think we're, we're more looking forward to what's going to happen with this team in two years versus what's happening now. And I don't think that these sort of late-season fade-outs uh, are necessarily something that we um, yeah should be yeah, completely yeah, killing them for. I think the interesting thing to think about when you look at the Gold Coast, because
1: I think sometimes with their teams, and I've seen it a little bit with Carlton as well, people kind of just assume that, these teams are just going to roll up and they're just going to continue moving up the ladder. They'll be in the top eight next year. And then I kind of look at the top eight and I'm like, okay, Um, Collingwood maybe has a couple of players on the older end of the scale, but I I kind of don't expect them to go anywhere. The Doggies and Saints are young teams as well. So why wouldn't they continue to improve? West Coast, let's be honest, they're just West Coast. And then the top four are going to be hard to dislodge from the top eight next year. So it is just interesting. You know, we we do assume that teams and, and Melbourne are in that bracket as well. Melbourne, Carlton, Gold Coast, Fremantle, were are improving. It's tough to make the eight. So I just don't think that you can you can show, show up next year and say, well, we've got a bunch of young guys and we should should improve. It's difficult to do so. And I think that's what we saw from the Gold Coast this year, really competitive.
0: It's tough to win games, particularly against those top teams, those experienced teams. We do have a game tonight. And it is, as I said, yeah, pretty important because it's going to shape yeah, what's going to happen in, in the first week of the finals. Both these teams are going to be playing finals. Port... And, uh, and Collingwood and Kane that might make them both under pressure So lay it out for me Kane and yeah, what what happens here if Port wins um, and if Collingwood wins so what, what, how does this all work out?
1: yeah Port will play Geelong if they win they'll play Richmond if they lose either way that game is going to be at Adelaide Oval. Collingwood, if they win, they'll play St Kilda. Uh, that will most likely be at the Gabba, and if they lose, uh, they will play West Coast at Optus Stadium. So, yeah, pretty simple. Port's playing to avoid Richmond. Collingwood's playing to, uh, or Collingwood's hoping uh, to avoid uh, West Coast. So, uh, yeah, pretty big stakes here. And we normally say under pressure for teams that have played bad or things that have gone wrong or coaches that might be on the hot seat. But for me, this is just uh, last game of the home and away season. Plenty on the line potentially a season on the line because I've said that I think that Collingwood out of these uh, the bottom uh, three teams in the eight so I'm I'm taking West Coast out of that and putting them with the top four Uh, out of the bottom three I think Collingwood's a team that can make a run but I probably will uh, feel pretty shaky about that if they lose tonight and have to go to Perth
0: and play West Coast because I I don't think the Eagles will lose in that game I reckon the top four teams would also be hoping that's the case too because I reckon because two of those top four teams are going to lose obviously, and then one of them is going to have to play Collingwood. Uh, if yeah, if Collingwood was able to get through their first match of the finals, they're going to have to take on Collingwood in, in that scenario. So I think they'd be hoping that Collingwood lose tonight and get themselves you know, a matchup with West Coast, which probably gives them the best chance of, of going out in round one. So that, I think there'd be a lot of people that'd be hoping for that. Outside of uh, outside of Collingwood fans, I'm not sure many other teams are going to be hoping for a, a Collingwood win. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I, I think you're right.
0: And it's, it's interesting that they will have no
1: side bottom as well. That's worth noting. I, I know we kind of briefly discussed that last week, that the possibility was that he wouldn't come back, but they're not going to get him. Uh, he's not going to be allowed to, to fly into the team with the quarantine and everything else going on. And it, it kind of makes sense. And I reckon if side bottom had been allowed to come up and play at this late stage, I think Geelong uh, Richmond and St. Kilda, who were trying to get... Ablett Edwards and uh, Hannabury up there a little bit earlier would have been pretty frustrated that the Pires would have been able to just click their fingers and get side bottom up there so uh, that is despite the fact that uh, they've got some big names back there uh, that is going to be a blow for them moving
0: forward because uh, he would have been a pretty handy player to slot in uh, for uh, the, the final series. So, what do we make of this matchup tonight in terms of you know game styles? Port Adelaide has had some up and down moments against some good teams. I'm not sure we're putting Collingwood necessarily in that real high level of, of teams. Um, is there a lean that we look here and say, well, you know, Collingwood's um, style is more suited to play against Port and their more high octane offensive style. Port Adelaide as the you know by far the, the highest. Actually, that's not true. I said, by far the highest percentage. They're not. Geelong is marginally ahead of them, but they could very easily end the season with the highest percentage. But they're one of the top scoring teams, one of the most uh, highest offensive teams, whereas Collingwood known for that defensive pressure. And how do we see uh, that work out between these two for tonight's game?
1: Yeah, two really different styles, as you pointed to. So Collingwood, number one in the AFL for disposals, number one in the AFL for uncontested disposals, Port Adelaide. Uh, they play a little bit more frenetic. They like to just get the ball in there, and you see that. Uh, come to play with their inside 50 numbers so Port just believe that we're just going to bang the ball in there we're just going to get it in there as quickly as we can as much as we can and then we're going to try and lock it in our forward half so that's the way Port Adelaide play whereas Collingwood they're kind of happy to chip it around uh, in their defensive half and move the ball slowly forward which I think has been to their detriment a little bit because then they find it tough to score but what it does ensure is that most of the time there's going to be big numbers inside Port Adelaide's forward 50 so I think the, the danger for Collingwood is the fact if they move the ball too slow in that back half, Port Adelaide are one of the best teams in the league. at creating the turnover in their forward half and then getting scores from that. So that's how I see Port Adelaide kicking goals in this one because I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to have the free-flowing game that they want to play. So I think it's going to be on the turnover. So if Collingwood want to play that style, which I have no reason to believe they won't because they've done it for a number of years now and moved the ball slowly – they're just going to be really careful. They've got to be careful that their skills are up to scratch, and I don't know what the weather's going to be like tonight. If it's wet, that can change things a little bit, but that's where the danger is for Collingwood because we know they struggle to score. So if they give up easy goals off turnovers to Port Adelaide and give up a lead, it's going to be tough for them to come back.
0: Yeah, I think that yeah, Port Adelaide does have the advantage here, but yeah, plenty of stuff can uh, can change, and Collingwood looked a lot better with the goy back last week and whether that can cause some problems for that Port Adelaide uh, defense. We'll see how that uh, how that all pans out, but it is one that the majority of the footy world, at least eight at least eight teams, are going to be paying attention to this, uh, and, and groups of fans to see exactly what that means for them in week one or week two of the finals. We're going to be watching it tonight as well, Kane, as the AFL home and away season wraps up with the last game. We got there, we made it, and uh, we'll see exactly where we're at tomorrow when we talk uh, a bit of finals preview stuff. I am sure, Kane. Thank you again for another episode of Locked AFL. See you tomorrow, my friend. Guys, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Give us a five-star review on the old Apple Podcasts as well. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Jess Sinclair.